0: Yeah, of course.
1: So, for those of you who don't know, uh, and for those of you who haven't listened to, I think, every podcast episode where I've probably mentioned something about Mora Mora's my girlfriend, and uh, she's currently at Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, and I am in Tennessee. And so, you know, we're doing this podcast over Zoom. I feel like this podcast episode, we're going to make it a little less formal because I kind of want to get into things that maybe... I don't get a chance to talk about with people I'm not as close with, you know. Um, But I guess we'll start as I do with with any other podcast episode with sort of your bio and how you got to where you are. So tell me a little bit about where you started in terms of choral music and uh, I guess, you know, your childhood and and what you were doing uh, in terms of music before you got to college.
0: Yeah, so I started when I was... Around eight years old, I started with piano actually. So, piano was kind of my first introduction to music. And then I joined church choir when I was eight years old. That was really the initiation of feeling like music was going to be a big part of my life for a long time. And so, in middle and high school, I joined you know, the school choirs, and then started getting a bit more serious about it. So in in middle school, I started auditioning for honor choirs. And then in high school, I did the same. But then, you know, when you're in high school, you're thinking about what you want to focus on for college, or, you know, if, if you even want to focus on anything um, in specifics. But I knew I wanted to study choral music, because I was so connected to it in high school. And I had a I had an incredible teacher who had a huge impact on my perception of choral conducting mostly, but also choral composition and really, you know, believed that I could take off and do choral music in some, in some way. So that was kind of my journey. And I have to say that the biggest reason why I was able to get through that were my parents and the people who supported me, so my voice teachers, my choir teachers, um, people who just told me that this could be a possibility as a career.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's a common theme amongst a lot of the guests that I've had is just that, you know, for some of them, just having one person, you know, tell them that, hey, you know, th- you can actually make a career out of this. Uh, I think is, it's, it's a really big deal. I, I know I felt the same way going into acting, because I I had always done music, since I was three and a half, I'd been playing drums, but acting was something kind of new to me, and I only really started acting when I was maybe 10 or 11, and I had one teacher, my vocal teacher in Tennessee, Bob Westbrook, who just told me, you know, hey, you have a knack for this too, and so um, I definitely know the feeling of like having one particular teacher, or one person who's like, hey, this is uh, something that you can actually do as a career and make money and not have to go be a lawyer, you know. <laughs> so. But you were also lucky in that, you know, you had very supportive parents. And I, I feel the same way about my own parents. So anyways, yeah, but tell me a little bit about how you then got to college. Like, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to go to USC and I'm going to study or I'm going to double major, right? Because you did choral music and vocal arts, which is, which is more of like opera.
0: Yeah, so I actually didn't know that, you know, USC existed on the spectrum of music schools until 2014 when I met Dr. Joe Michael Scheibe. He was conducting for the ACDA Honor Choir that I was in. And he was the head of the Department of Choral and Sacred Music at USC. And I remember he was specifically, you know, he would always make announcements during rehearsal like, oh, you know, especially because it's a room full of high schoolers who are interested in music. So he's like, oh, perfect opportunity to promote USC.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like USC people always find that it's a good opportunity to promote USC. So for better or for worse, <laughs> we, we, we love talking about our, our school and we love, you know, the, the whole Trojan Network thing is is real. So anyways, Continue.
0: When I met Dr. Shivey, I think that was the first time that I realized, oh, you know, maybe USC would be in the picture Um, because I was only considering schools that had vocal performance programs because, you know, an undergrad choral music major is pretty rare. I wasn't looking for music education. I was looking for choral music that I could essentially see myself like being a conductor of a pro choir. Um so USC had that program and they had vocal performance which I was just you know the reason why I was able to double major was because USC had both of those majors.
1: So this is a good place then so explain to me the distinction cuz I'm still a little bit it's still a little murky to me what the distinction is between having a choral music degree and a vocal performance degree, right? Ultimately, you still have to perform and you still have to sing wouldn't those be pretty similar?
0: So the distinction between choral music and vocal arts, vocal arts was part of the BM. So the bachelor of music in performance, at least when I was there, it was a perform that, and it's still true today that that is a performance degree. So everything in the vocal arts realm was, you know, you were doing a lot of solar repertoire, obviously, because you're training to be a, a soloist in some way. Mm. Um, but with choral music, obviously, you know, that's the main, our main shtick, if you will, is performing with other people. So it's not like we are, though we are taking, you know, choral music majors are required to take voice lessons. That makes sense. Um, but we're not focused, our focus is not on solo singing. It's on, it's on, you know, singing, as a part of a larger unit. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are still like, I I know friends who were choral music majors or music ed majors, but they went on to do gigs with LA Master Crow and LA Opera. Um, and when you think about it, LA Master Crow it's a choir, but it's a choir comprised of a lot of, there are a lot of opera singers in that choir.
1: Yeah, I mean, for for people who don't know, the LA Master Chorale is particularly famous for doing uh, a lot of recent, but also older film scores. They they tend to be either the first or second call choir to do all those things, including like the Star Wars films. That's all LA Philharmonic and LA Master Chorale, and so
0: it's important to to know the distinction. But it's also important to know that the reason why I decided to double major is because I knew that those two degrees. Two degrees that I were, I was very passionate about, they both had a great effect on each other. We had this class, and Suraj knows this well, we had this class called Choral Development, uh-huh. which was basically... Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I basically just started dating you when you were in that class. And so <laughs> a lot of the stress, I was like, whoa, okay, this girl is like feeling the pain a little bit of this class.
0: That was definitely a time. But yeah, so choral development was a mashup of like music education philosophy sprinkled with a little bit of history and understanding the, you know, the schools of thought when it comes to training a choir to sing. Um, And a lot of the times we would talk about, you know, in the choral classroom, vocal-related issues or vocology, um, the study, the science of studying the voice. And I had already taken a vocology class by the time I started that choral development class. So I already had all of this, this knowledge that was truly um, it was pretty helpful in the time that I was taking this choral development class because I wasn't sitting there in the nebulous of like unknown and not knowing what you know Mm. the certain terms were what what parts of the the voice or the body um someone was referring to and I was I was lucky to have that knowledge and to say like oh well now that I have that preset knowledge I don't need to like I don't need to take two steps back in order to take one step forward
1: yeah no I mean it's it's a little curious to me because just from my perspective on things it's tricky to to understand uh having a a degree that's specifically soloistic versus one that's more ensemble related i mean i understand the virtue of it in terms of like the fact that there are solo singers who you know will do concerts and even in, in opera like you have soloists and and a lot of attention is Devoted to that soloist as a person and their ability to go from role to role to role Um, But like in in the things that I am most knowledgeable on I guess in terms of music like playing jazz or doing pop things I guess you have a soloist or like a a front man or a front woman to a band or Just a a singer or an artist but in in jazz and in in acting. I mean, I, I feel like You're really always thinking about ensemble playing. I mean jazz soloing is still really ensemble playing and like having a lead role in a film is still ensemble play like it's still it requires you to have an interaction with other people and at the same time, um, even when you're doing something like a Shakespeare monologue or, or any monologue in, in contemporary theater, you're still pretty much considering how that fits within the ensemble or within the cast. At least if I think if you're doing your job, that's what you'd be doing. So I understand the virtue of it, but it's also a little foreign to me thinking about it like this.
0: Um yes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make a quick counter argument to that. Okay. So I totally understand where you are coming from, and I and I, I fully understand it in the in the logical sense. I think one of the virtues of doing that degree, especially at USC, was that. You know, when you think when when someone who isn't in the choral field thinks of uh, someone going into choral music as a as a degree, they're like, okay, so they'll probably come out as a court. They're probably training to be a choral singer. Right. That's not necessarily true. If you're going in for choral music, you could come out as a choral conductor. You could come out as a musicologist. Why would you go into ensemble like an ensemble degree if the solo degree still has that element embedded into it. Well, it's because that there are possibilities of doing other things with the degree, like choral conducting, leading the ensemble, as opposed to, you know, constantly singing in it.
1: I mean, and, and to sort of segue, I mean, you decided to... Do your graduate degree in conducting, which is even more niche than the singing. Yeah,
0: (laughs) try (laughs) telling an Uber driver that it's a really, it's a really fun time.
1: (laughs) That I'm a conducting major at Yale. They're Um, like,
0: "What instrument do you play?" I'm like, "I sing. Like, I have my own instrument, I guess."
1: (laughs) Well, so yeah, why did you choose to major in that as opposed to continuing your graduate education in voice? Like, when did you find conducting specifically? As the interest, you talked a little bit about it that you were interested in conducting in high school, but then how did you choose that that's going to be your major or your, your further study?
0: I I'm gonna take us back to when we were talking about LA Master Choral. I've had many experiences in my life where I felt like, oh, that's that's really cool that someone's doing that. Like, oh, I like when I see a choral a really great choral performance. I'm like, oh, that's that's awesome. Like, maybe I could do that one day. But ever since I moved to LA, um, and my parents, like my family moved to LA, I, obviously I wanted to get to know the, the culture, the arts and the culture outside of USC. So I remember I saw a dress rehearsal for a performance of Lagrime di San Pietro, um, which was, it, it is a I um, I think it's a masterwork, um, by Orlando de Lasso. I saw LA Master Chorale do a dress rehearsal for their performance of it. And it was the most profound experience of music that I had ever seen personally. The reason why it was so incredibly profound to me was obviously the music and the way that the choir was singing. but there was this other element to it which was movement. They had a director come in. His name is Peter Sellers. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up and he's just so when he talks, he is just so engaging and angelic.
1: Yeah, we talked we talked about uh Peter Sellers with with Camilla Tassi.
0: Yeah, that's right. The, he came in to stage that performance. And I had never seen a choir let alone an organization interpret a piece of music like that and actually have the choir almost the role of the choir deconstructed like they weren't singing with robes or dresses or any of this like dress code they were they were all dressed in like earthy tones and it really painted that visual for how I was receiving the music and how I was perceiving it and digesting it and that that moment when I saw that rehearsal had it it just turned a switch for me because I realized that my you know I had interests in choral conducting prior but to see the the amount of stuff or the the realm of possibility for a choral conductor for a music director to lead an ensemble like that was just so mind boggling. And like, you know, sophomore, 20, 20 year old me was like, whoa, like you can choreograph choral music? What? Like they don't have to just be standing a
1: concept.
0: (laughs) So I just think that that was just such a turn of events for me because I had never seen choral music in that way. And live too. So I think to get back to your question about what made me choose to go into choral music in graduate school was the fact that there is just so much more about my field, about the the choral conducting field that I've yet to learn. And seeing a glimpse of that through the LA Master Chorale rehearsal that I just described, that just bred so much curiosity and i was like i have to know more about like you know the gesture and all of that is awesome it's really cool to study that but like the realm of possibility for a director like a music director a choral conductor what a leader of an ensemble is just awesome and like to have that agency is really powerful
1: yeah absolutely um well well, i'm definitely want to get back to that but i think that there may be some listeners here who, maybe, if you're not a, a musician or have sort of studied classical music, you, you may not really understand what the role of the conductor is, apart from what Maura has described, which is like the, the musical director aspect of it, right? Choosing or helping to choose what to program, you know, trying to get all the logistical matters, leading the ensemble. But why don't you talk a little bit about like gesture and, 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 um, the more the technical elements of of what exactly a conductor does when they're on the podium because i think a lot of people just assume they're flapping their hands up there but that that's not a that's not real or that's not what you're really doing
0: (laughs) i have to say that i feel like i have a much more philosophical approach to this because i i don't even know like what how do i describe talking about what like they do, they, they just lead the music. They lead what's on the page. They cut off, they, they, you know, bring the choir in all of that. Like, I just, even talking about it is weird for me because I don't think about, you know, what the, I don't think of the role of the conductor ever as something that's just musical. Like, I don't, I don't think about it in the sense like, okay, They're the ones who bring the choir on stage and they have the music and they're conducting this pattern and then they cut them off and the piece, you know, they have a set list of pieces. Like, I never think about it in that sense, because that's just not that's not a a role is 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 everything. It's all encompassing. So the role of the conductor is really a translator for the audience. I mean, in a literal sense, too. The conductor is the one who's gonna provide the program notes for the audience. They're gonna be providing all the historical context, you know, when they're announcing it on the microphone or putting it in the program. So again, going back to, you know, I understand where I understand where you're coming from. Um, but the role of the conductor is really to bring the choruses or the, the ensemble's music to life and Connect all of those individual voices. I mean, I say voices in the literal sense, but also, you know, voices in the in the general musical sense as well.
1: yeah. well, I asked you that question partially because I think few people understand how interdisciplinary just the idea of conducting actually is, because, like from my observation of it, I mean, you're moving. So there's a movement aspect to it. And 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 that along with the music, which is very auditory, is sort of very interesting to me. That you know, if you watch a conductor conduct something and you turned off the music, I feel like you're actually getting an artistic expression, um, just on its own. And then on top of that, like you said, the conductor is providing historical context, program notes. They also sometimes are like the actual MC of the whole event. I was watching. I was watching recently. Uh, Maybe I think you walked in uh, for that, that my cousins were watching a Metallica, uh, a Metallica concert with the San Francisco Symphony. And uh, what? what, Oh, my God. I'm blanking on his name.
0: Michael Tilson Thomas.
1: Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Michael Tilson Thomas is like sitting in like an arena, a basketball arena. And he like gets on the microphone and he's like, hi, I'm Michael Tilson Thomas. And let me tell you a little bit about this collaboration. So they really are interfacing with the audience in a way that the orchestra members or the, the choir members are not going to do uh literally. And so yeah, I feel like conducting doesn't get enough credit, um, and people sort of short shrift it and they don't understand how encompassing, uh how all encompassing that role actually is, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so I'm gonna ask another provocative question, I guess, which is I grew up with a different musical tradition uh, at home mostly which was you know like Hindustani or Carnatic classical Indian music that was cu- culturally my background and then of course I started studying or playing pop music and rock music uh, and then later jazz I was never exposed to choir because you know being or being raised a Hindu that there's no the choir's choir is not a thing. But for a lot of Christian people, um, regardless of denomination, choir is something that's very central to their identity to begin with. And on one hand, it seems like a very conservative art form just by its own nature because it's sort of connected to sacred music. And on the other hand, there's a lot of possibilities and and you're exploring a lot of those. So, So tell me why you feel like choral music has possibilities to make big, Impact in today's world, where maybe not everyone is exposed to it. I mean, I ask the same question about jazz, right? Like, wh- why is jazz the medium by which people are going to get the message, or whatever the message may be? Like, why is it jazz is going to be that? Jazz is from the nineteen forties, right? People think it's from from an old age. Like, why why jazz? And so I ask you, why why choral music?
0: Well, okay, I there are a few things. Um. I think that having the ability to use text is something that um, I think non-choral musicians or non-vocalists maybe undervalue sometimes. Like the, the power of the human voice is not just that it's attached to our bodies. It's that it literally, we can, we can speak. We can use text as a catalyst for more powerful music. Um, I say more as in quantity, not quality, contributing to the vast amounts of of really profound music for people. So one of the things that I and and to connect it to another um another reason why is I'm thinking about Craig Hella Johnson's considering Matthew Shepard. So for those of you who are listening who don't know, Craig Hella Johnson is the director of Conspirare, which is an ensemble based in Austin, Texas. They're a pro-choir, um, relatively small. One of his claim to fames, Craig Hella Johnson is considering Matthew Shepard. And it is the the story, it, it's the story about Matthew Shepard, who was killed in the 90s because he was gay. And there has been a movement in choral music that I've I've seen happen over the past few years, but maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit longer. And that's including this sense of social justice, social awareness in our music and in choral music specifically, because when the lay person thinks about choral music, they may think, okay, church, religious whatever that has become a whole yes that is still preserved but there is just a whole breadth of repertoire that are that are highlighting that is highlighting a different perspective on society and life that's outside of just you know thinking about religion and i think social justice and social awareness has become a a central topic for composers to write and for conductors to program. And I think one of the most brilliant things that Craig Hella Johnson does with the Considering Matthew Shepard is that he's taking this idea, the structure of the Passion Oratorio, which was something that Bach was doing with St. John and St. Matthew Passions, and he's contextualizing it to the, you know, 20 21st century. In that piece specifically, there are other f- there are other types of music coming in like bluegrass and and jazz and all those types of styles are being woven in. I think that that makes it a bit more approachable for people. Um, and I think not only approachable, but I think, again, to go back to your question, this idea of what, what does choral music really contribute to society nowadays? in in the 21st century is this notion of what we associate with like neoclassicism is drawing from old periods and recontextualizing it and in this sense can recontextualizing it in a sense where we there is a connection for society like we we can feel like in and i'm going to shout out another ensemble tonality in based in LA they perform music that is surrounding social justice issues like gun violence, like Black Lives Matter, like LGBTQ rights, like all of this stuff, mental mental health too, and, um, you know, the crisis at the border, all of this stuff. And this recontextualizing of events in society, events in history with that structure of what people think of when they listen to Bach or what they listen to when they listen to the Renaissance or Baroque or et cetera. So
1: yeah, I hope that
0: was a sufficient answer.
1: (laughs) No, no, absolutely. Well, there's, you, you do have this sort of rich embedded history within choral music and you can use that history in a very economic way. I could say you can use that historical capital as a way of leverage. You can gain some additional leverage on your audience And you can use that leverage to say, hey, here's this new issue and we're going to give it to you in this form that you're familiar with already. And I think about this with with jazz, that jazz already sort of has this idea of social progress to begin with, Um, just from its conception uh, of being like black American music. It already has this idea of being revolutionary. And so then when you play jazz, even now, it has this energy of being revolutionary just by its own very nature. And in the same way, I don't know if this makes any sense or I'm just totally bullshitting here, but I, I feel this, that when I have listened to choral music, it has a spiritual element to it by its own nature because it comes from the church. And then when you present a modern telling of something or, or, or you, you, know, you recontextualize what, whatever your piece is, whatever your, your topic is, you know, whatever the text is about, it feels spiritual by its very nature. When it's talking about an issue like LGBTQ rights, you still feel that element of this historical spirituality and it comes out in it and it like creates this moment. I know because I saw, I saw CMS when, when you performed it um, with what is the name of your group?
0: USC Thornton Chamber
1: Singers. Yeah, Chamber Singers. I was like, not Chamber Orchestra, Chamber Singers. Yeah, okay, right, Thornton, Thornton Chamber Singers. Um, but I saw that performance, and it felt spiritual. Uh, even though, you know, right when you're talking about LGBTQ rights and you've inclu- you're including jazz and bluegrass and whatever the other uh, sort of genre melding that's happening there, it does feel very spiritual because of this historical element that choir music is spiritual music from the past you know
0: and i i mean with that piece there are so many there are chorale moments like like bach chorale moments that are in there that you're like whoa that sounds like sounds like bach but you're like no that's that's just him recontextualizing the chorale style into cms um so that's why it may sound a bit familiar to people in that spiritual sense. Cause they're like, Oh, that, that sounds familiar. Like I've heard that in, I don't know, a religious, a religious service of some sort. Um, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you know. Well, you sold me. I'm, I'm going to listen to a, I'm gonna listen to some choir music, Mora. There you go. <laughs> for, for the last couple of years, you've been trying to, to get me to listen to more and more choral music, which, you know, which I want to do, which I, I like doing. Cause I, I like listening to choral music. I mean, on a really wonky note, Choral composers deal with music theory in a certain way uh there's a lot of voicings because you have soprano tenor ah, soprano alto tenor bass so you've got four parts um and sometimes eight parts if you've got soprano one soprano two et cetera et cetera and the way that they voice chords is really really interesting to to me and to a lot of jazz musicians we we take a lot of um Good tips and advice from people who who compose in that style because it's not that different from having to write a big band chart and having trumpets and saxophones and trombones. You know, you're you're all music is ultimately with those kinds of voicings. You're dealing with similar things. So I've you know listened to some choral music and and in turn tried to to write like that when it comes to some of the music I write. So I'm not opposed to it. You know, and, and even my girlfriend for for two and a half years now. So I think you've successfully indoctrinated me. Yeah. So tell me a little, little bit about your uh, new initiative, Collabor Artists. I'm very upset that you came up with such an incredibly clever title. But at the same time, you know, I- I'm excited because you and I have this, I, I think at this point we might say a, c- a kind of obsession maybe with the idea of collaboration between different art forms um, and just different kinds of people. Uh, so tell me a little, a little bit about what the idea for Collabor Artists or where that idea came from,
0: so it was a spur of the moment thing. I actually called a friend, Kate Crellin, who is who also runs another arts initiative called choirclusive. I remember talking to her I, I had I had breakfast with her on the super lovely day, and I remember we were talking about choir inclusive and and things. And when after hanging out with her, I went home and I was like, I want to start an arts initiative like she really inspired me to to like think about how to take what I love to do and put it in another form other than music so I mean other than you know performing music um so I had this for the moment idea um and it came from the fact that I've been oh, I've always wanted to create some sort of database an online database for artists of all kinds to find each other, um, to find each other and to be able to work with each other um, on a project. So thinking about like a contact list or organizations that are small arts initiatives that are popping up that are new that I wanted to promote um, and support and get the word out about them. And then I started thinking, well, maybe this could be kind of this arts initiative can can house a database and it can it can host events and it acts it acts more than just you know an info site. There's there's a little bit more action going on. So I'm still developing the mission of Collabor Artists, but essentially it's an initiative that is trying to promote interdisciplinary collaboration through online events, through um through a website. Um, et cetera, you know, hopefully one day in person events again. Um, yeah.
1: Right. Lord knows.
0: Yeah. And again, to really promote this message of interdisciplinary collaboration across all artistic mediums.
1: Well, I'll be posting a link in the show notes so people can um, go to, uh, or I guess at this point, go on zoom and and go to one of these uh, fantastic events that you're doing. Um, why don't you tell me about studying at Yale and uh, what are the things that you've gotten from that going to Yale, studying at an institution like that has got to have some serious pros, but also some drawbacks, I imagine, too.
0: Yeah. So I I decided to go to Yale because it, you know, one of the best choral conducting programs in the U.S. Um, and really great reputation obviously as a school period but also the uh the institute of sacred music has some has some weight
1: to it the institute of sacred music
0: yes the ism so yeah. that's technically what i am a part of it has some weight to it and you know knowing where that degree could take me also the the realm of possibility at the school the fact that i'm going here for free um <sighs> is in- incredible i mean working with world class artists uh on the daily and knowing that I get all of this as a part of my education for free is just like insane. I knew that, you know, I was signing up for a pretty pretty incredible music music education. Those are those are really the three general um the general pros. And obviously I'm gonna highlight the community because the community at Yale is quite amazing and I love the people here um I think at Yale it can sometimes you know when you're in a conservatory it can it can feel like and especially in a master's program where you're fixating on one thing it sometimes feels a bit repetitive I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that that is you know that's a con of you Yale, because it, it could be a con of any place. Um, I'm an expressive type. Like I don't, I I'm I'm not someone to really stick to routine and love it. Um, so I think that just being in a choral conducting program can feel niche on the outside, but also on the inside, because you're you know, you're studying one type of music all the time. And and for me, that's it can and that's why I have to surround myself with all different types of people. Um not just artists, really, that's the only, I guess, downside to fixating on something that, you know, I love, but also I want to be doing other stuff with it, not necessarily Mm -hmm. like, you know, the same thing. But that's the purpose of school, you know, like school for a small period of time. That's not going to be my whole life's work.
1: Uh, Tell me about artists that inspire you. Um, I know we talked about Peter Sellers a little bit. Who else are you listening to? We talked about Conspirare, uh The Crossing, Tonality. Um, anyone else that you're, 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 you've are you're been listening to specifically or, or music you've been listening to? What inspires you on a day-to-day basis?
0: Um, so I'm going to talk about music that has inspired me, and then I'll talk about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of music, and I'm actually – surprise I'm Surge doesn't know this but I'm gonna go see um Chris Thiele is doing an outdoor performance in Connecticut on Saturday and I'm gonna go see him <laughs> and it is my first outdoor concert and I'm going with a friend and I'm super excited I showed her his music the other the other day and she's like oh my god I have to go see him perform
1: uh, for the audience Chris Thiele is a singer and a mandolin player um, really genre-less, I feel like, or genre-bending, I mean, in so many different ways. He's played with Yo-Yo Ma on a Bluegrass album. He's played with Brad Meldow and done some jazz stuff, uh, some improvising. He does, like, folk music. He's played a lot of Bach on mandolin, uh, a lot of classical music. Um, also with Yo-Yo Ma, he played. I think they did those, those Bach trios. You yeah, know, and, and on, a, on a personal level, I think Chris Dealey we went to go see Christy Lee on what was our first like a non-date essentially. We have a very <laughs> interesting <laughs> storied history <laughs> in our relationship and uh yeah I, I took Mora to a to a Christy Lee concert. Um, I was hoping it would be a date. It was not a date and it took many months for there to be a date. So anyways not to throw you under the bus there but.
0: <laughs> Is this like some sort of like Dating Confessions. Well, I'm
1: definitely leaving this in the episode. I, I'm just letting you know I'm going to leave this okay. in the episode. That's so.
0: okay. I, what, so, know, I, we love a little humor.
1: Well, what about Chris Thiele? Like Like, why, why have you uh, – I mean, other, he's just a cool artist, obviously. But go ahead. Tell me.
0: So I really admire him as an artist. And I think my admiration for him really grew when he did those um, – that whole Bach trio – Album with Edgar Meyer and Yo Yo Ma. And I love him and in, am inspired by him as an artist because when I heard those Bach trios being played, you know, essentially rearranged and, you know, played on the, on the mandolin, there was just so much more color to the music that I was hearing as opposed to if I was hearing that, you know, with s- standard quote unquote um classical music instruments um adding a mandolin is just something that so it it just brings out so much color and so much to the texture of the music so i really appreciate his his way of genre bending and also you know using his instrument as this way to really paint music in a different way for people I listened to that album all the time. I was listening to it today for a bit. I was listening to that album with Brad Meldow um, that he did. Uh, yeah. It's just like amazing. A few people who I admire period in my field. The first is, and this comes as no surprise to anyone, especially Suraj, because I talk about her a lot. Um, and that's Jenny Wong. Uh, she's the associate conductor. Well, now, Associate Artistic Director, Hala, um, of LA Master Chorale. <laughs> Essentially everything I, I would hope to be as a conductor and as a human being, really. Um, and Stephanie Tubiolo, who is a grad of the program, of the choral conducting program here, and has always been someone who I've, who I've admired so much in my field.
1: So so tell me what it is about them specifically that you admire, right? Because there's there's a lot of people in the choral field, um both men and women, and I'm just wondering what, what it is about those people, other than your personal connection with them, that inspires you.
0: Both of them are not afraid to be vulnerable with music, to especially see a woman who a woman on the podium who is just empowering me to feel like I can be vulnerable through music and to create that space and those two specifically I I really do try to set aside my my personal interactions with both of them because knowing them as people they are just simply amazing but I think in music as well they have an ability to create the sense of empathy with others that I'm I'm really amazed and um in awe of
1: well, what's next for you? What are you up to in the next coming uh, weeks, months, years?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I because I am a second year in the master's program here at Yale, I am currently preparing to give part of my recital next Saturday. Um, I'm going to be conducting a small group of orchestral players, specifically string players, we're going to be masked, so, so socially distanced, and that'll be like a performance recording. And I hope to gather videos from that and also from the, the conductors, um, the second year conductors also are going to be doing a collaboration with the Voxtet, which is the, um, early music singers here at Yale. And there's eight of them then. So I am Actually, doing movements from Lagrime di San Pietro and um, conducting that. And then in December, I hope to mash it all together and put it into some sort of live streamed recital. Collabor Artists is going to come up with some cool things. We're hoping to launch something in, in March, trying to be inspired more and more every day. And um,
1: trying to live through this coronavirus, let's be honest.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Um so anyways, Mora, thank you so much for being with me and I love you.
0: I love you too. <laughs>